0: Hiro, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, John Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. Uh, John Clayton here as we uh, go through this crazy free agency period, trade period, and it has been so busy uh, you know, there's been 15 trades so far. There have been over 220 moves and re-signs, franchise tags, and you name it. And But I think one of the most interesting moves made and the most controversial was the DeAndre Hopkins trade. And joining us from CBS Sports.com, uh, Jared Dubin, and Jared, you wrote extensively about the uh, DeAndre Hopkins trades. T- talk about just the overall impressions of Hopkins making that uh, and Bill O'Brien making that deal and getting this going.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's I gotta say, it's a popular opinion that this trade does not make all that much sense from the Texans' perspective. Um, you know, if it would be one thing if they were saving themselves a bunch of money by you know getting rid of hopkins contract if there was a feeling that they just didn't want to pay him that much money but i mean you're looking at it this is guy is one of the three four five best receivers in the league and his cap hits are not all that big the next few years it's 12 and a half million 13 and a half million and 13.9 million over the next three years all non-guaranteed and they traded him for a running back who hasn't been the guy that was a superstar for at least a couple of years now. Played only one game a couple of years ago. Last year just wasn't very good. And doesn't make all that much money less than DeAndre Hopkins does. And um, they just didn't get much for it, you know?
0: No, no question. And, of course, uh, you know, to make up for that, they go ahead and they uh, sign Randall Cobb and pay him $9 million a year. So all of a sudden, for whatever reason on the Hopkins trade, uh, they don't get a number one pick. They end up now having $22 million a year tied up in two players, Cobb at nine, David Johnson on a $13 million a year contract. I mean, that's just incredible.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you look at it, they've now traded Hopkins and Jadevian Clowney in the last two years, and they still don't have a first-round pick in this draft. And they still have to pay Laramie Tunsil, who they sent out essentially two first-round picks for last year, and I mean, he's got them over a barrel. He has so much leverage in terms of being able to demand essentially whatever he wants because of how much they gave up for him and how much they've not gotten back for the other two stars that they traded.
0: Yeah, and clearly, I mean, he's going to uh, ask for about $19 million a year, and so now all, what you're talking about, and of course, the big one of the things that they have to look ahead to is trying to get some kind of a deal for Deshaun Watson, and that's going to be... Forty million or thirty-seven and a half million, somewhere in that area. So now you'd have, you know, nineteen million tied up in Tunsil. You'd have doubled that for Watson. You have thirteen and David Johnson. Although again, you know, the, the signing bonus stuff is away, so it's not totally thirteen. And then you got the twenty-seven million dollar deal over three years for Randall Cobb. That's a lot. Oh, for
1: sure. And I mean, now that they've traded Hopkins, you would figure that they're probably going to end up having to keep. Will Fuller and that's not going to be a small deal either considering, you know, how explosive he is when he's actually able to stay on the field. And I mean, you just look at the way that they've handled the early portion of Watson's career. I mean, that guy is so good and they have saddled him with one of the NFL's worst offensive lines for the majority of his career. And now even after getting, you know, a left tackle who is good, but not necessarily elite they still don't have necessarily a, a good offensive line in front of Watson, and they just took away the thing that's made him effective anyway by taking away his number one target. It's, it's mind-boggling, really.
0: It really is now the uh, other aspect of this is that uh, how does that affect the defense when you have so much tied up on the offense because you know if you're talking 19 million dollars for a left tackle 40 million dollars for a quarterback you know you've got 9 million tied up on uh, Cobb and whatever it's going to cost on Fuller that doesn't leave a lot for the defense
1: no and look i mean just on the defense they're not that it's not worth it but they're paying a ton of money already to jj J. watt so, you know, they don't have that much money left over to go fill out around him and Whitney Merciless. You look there, they still have a bunch of needs in the secondary. They probably still have a need on the edge to help Watt and Merciless out up front. They, they lost DJ Reader in free agency. There are still plenty of needs on defense for them, too. It's a, it's a roster that's rapidly thinning, and they do have a few stars, but... It doesn't seem like enough to get them over the top, especially when you consider last year was really the year that they loaded up for and it wasn't enough then. And then they just traded, you know, one of the two or three best players on the team for a running back who got overtaken in the, on the death chart by a guy who essentially washed out of the Miami Dolphins, you know? So it's, uh, it's perplexing. (laughs) I keep laughing to myself about it. I just don't understand what they're doing.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, is how similar would this be to what ended up happening to the Rams? Now, of course, in the case of the Rams, you know, they ended up going to the Super Bowl. You know, they were totally shut down, uh, couldn't do anything offensively, and so they were all in. And so now you look at what's happened to them. Now, uh, the Rams have you know lost through free agency and releases. You know, six key guys on defense. They had to cut t- Todd Gurley, and they've only been able to add two guys back. But and that all caught up to them. Is this going to be the same scenario? for the Texans?
1: Yeah, I definitely think it's somewhat similar. I mean, at least the, the David Johnson contract that they got is not quite as as long-term and quite as damaging as the Todd Gurley deal was. And, you know, the Texans have a better quarterback, so the big deal that they give him, I think, is automatically going to look better than the big deal that the Rams gave Jared Goff. Um, you know, the, the Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt contract are somewhat similar. Those are guys who are worth the massive amounts of money that they're being paid. I do think the infrastructure around uh, the quarterback and, and high paid defensive player contracts in Los Angeles is slightly better than the one that's uh, over there in Houston right now. I mean, you look at again, the way that they're protecting Deshaun Watson on the offensive line, that's just, you know, really not acceptable at all from a franchise construction standpoint. I know the Rams offensive line was bad for the, the first probably three quarters of last season, but I mean, the two years before that, it was arguably the best offensive line in the league and sort of the basis of how they were successful offensively. I don't know that they could have necessarily foreseen just the complete collapse of that unit last year.
0: Yeah, now, Chris, uh, when you look ahead, it's like, okay, so uh, there was a thing that uh, Deshaun Watson did on Twitter the other day, and it was kind of cryptic. I mean, how do you get the feeling that how he feels about this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would imagine he's not too happy, like... You know, they, they traded away the his best target that he's had for his entire career. I would imagine that's not necessarily something he's too thrilled about. Obviously, he, he still has, uh, you know, a pretty good receiving core just with, with Will Fuller and uh, with Kenny Stills and now with Randall Cobb. But certainly it's nothing, you know, that they don't have what DeAndre Hopkins was bringing to the offense. And again, he's not really been well protected throughout the majority of his career. I know he's been publicly very supportive of bill o'brien as a coach but it's hard to see how you could be supportive of the way they're building out the roster around him you know that said i mean the guy's going to get essentially whatever he wants in contract negotiations and if he's not willing to sign it they're just going to franchise tag him a few times so i would imagine he's going to be in houston for at least a while longer
0: Oh yeah, no question about it because again, they have team has control. I mean, because you get the 50-year option if necessary, then of course you can go ahead and put the franchise tag on, so you technically have control for two years, but also you know you don't have a happy uh, happy guy necessarily. And again, we'll see how this goes with Dak Prescott because he got the exclusive tag, and uh, you know, and of course that number keeps shrinking down. But you know, at some point you got to wonder, you know, will uh, Deshaun Watson make a negative position with Bill O'Brien?
1: you would think that seeing a bunch of these moves that it becomes more likely, but you know, if they do give him the kind of contract that he wants, that's a pretty good way of keeping somebody happy. I guess it's just a matter of, you know, whether he's so much more interested in the way the roster is construction, constructed around him than he is in getting the kind of payday that he wants or in, I mean, he's been publicly supportive of Bill O'Brien as a, as a coach. So I'm, I'm not sure what he thinks about him as a, you know, a general manager or franchise architect but at least as a coach, he has been, you know, supportive of him. So it's possible that he is happier there than outside observers might think he would
0: be. Normally in this league, I mean, a uh, oh, the window usually can go for five years. I use this as an example. The Cincinnati Bengals, you know, they went to the playoffs with Andy Dalton five straight years. They lost in every playoff game. But after those five years periods, it got to the point where, you know, one year they let, uh, you know, two wide receivers go Muhammad Sanu and Marvin Jones and then the next year they let their two best offensive linemen go Andrew Woodworth and Kevin Zeitler and next thing you know they're crack, crashing to the ground could this be something that's going to be head you know for uh, Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson
1: I would think so for sure um you know there are certain quarterbacks that can overcome any of those kind of things just because I mean, they're that good. I mean, you look at a guy, obviously, Tom Brady has done that throughout throughout his career in New England. I mean, you look at a guy as talented as Patrick Mahomes is a guy that can keep the window open for presumably pretty long. Aaron Rodgers did it for a long time, too. Um, you know, it's possible that Watson's on that level, but just the, the way that that roster has thinned out over the last couple of years and then just the lack of draft capital they have to add the type of talent that you need when you have – high paid stars I mean that's that's what happens just you, you take a, a step backward just because you don't have you know enough of the infrastructure around those top guys to be able to support not just when everybody's healthy but in the case of injuries I mean if you get one two three guys hurt all of a sudden you know you just don't have the quality of players to be able to fill in those holes
0: yeah no question about it uh, what kind of reaction have you been able to hear from the uh, Texan fans?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I have a friend who somehow I grew up in New Jersey and he somehow was a Texans fan and he re- renounced his Texans fanhood. Uh, wow. So that was entertaining. Uh, but he picked up the Jets. So I'm not sure how much happier he's going to be.
0: So in other words, he can probably double back then if that's going to be the case.
1: Yeah, I would think so. I mean, you look at the way the Jets are surrounding Sam Darnold. There's, uh, there's not a lot of receiving talent over there right now either.
0: No, that's true. And so, but, and and the interesting thing, and I know uh, I was looking at this in the big picture in the AFC, is that uh, in the NFC, there's about 12 starting quarterbacks making 21 plus million dollars. In the AFC, I mean, you could have as many as nine, 10, maybe as many as 11 guys by the time the season starts that are in their rookie contracts. So that, of course, you know, helps a guy like Deshaun Watson, who's that good, and Patrick Mahomes, because uh, other than, say Ben Roethlisberger and a couple others I mean you week in and week out you're really not taking on the great quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Drew Brees and others
1: that's true I although I will say obviously you know just Watson himself and then you look at Mahomes and uh, Lamar Jackson there are some of the better quarterbacks that are in the AFC and still on those rookie contracts so it's not like there's nobody out there that's good, but certainly it it does seem like the the great veteran quarterbacks right now are mostly... In
0: the NFC, yeah, and that's that's going to be you know, the, and one of the things that helped out certainly Tom Brady through the years is that uh, you know he was in a, a division that was easy to win because you know they either didn't have the quarterbacks or didn't have the success and they kept on changing coach after coach after coach and you know in the AFC right now like, and, which I still think is much weaker than the NFC but you're right these three young quarterbacks are the ones to watch for the future
1: for sure and then I mean you look at. Just uh, the Ravens division. I mean, this time last year, everybody thought Baker Mayfield was going to be a star. You know, certainly possible that he could regain that uh, that status that he had coming into his second year. Hopefully, their their offensive line moves will help keep him more well protected and get him back to where people thought he could be. And then, you know, Joe Burrow is going to come into that division too, in all likelihood. I mean, that's even more guys. And you look at you know the the AFC East. I mean, Josh Allen certainly is not on that level yet, but they've done about as good a job as possible as as you could to prop up a quarterback. I mean, the the moves they made last offseason, bringing in John Brown, Cole Beasley, they brought in Quentin Spain on the offensive line. Now this offseason, they bring in Stephon Diggs. They're basically giving him everything necessary to make sure that even if he is not a top-level talent, he has a top-level infrastructure around him to be able to reach that. You know, so there's a bunch of teams still, even with those young quarterbacks, that they could try to prop those guys up just because when you have those quarterbacks on the rookie deals, there's so much more space to maneuver, and that's how you build such a deeper roster.
0: Yeah, so now how do you sum up the uh, AFC South as far as, you know, who should win, how many wins, and how how do you break it down?
1: It's really tough. I mean, I think that the, the Colts, the Titans, and the Texans are all sort of lumped together, which, I mean, you look at last year, their their records were pretty close. Their point differentials even were pretty close, and that's with, you know, Jacoby Brissett playing injured over the second half of the season, so the Colts sort of fell backwards a little bit. I think that the Jaguars seem like pretty clearly a step behind, obviously. Their defense, they've just lost so much talent on that side of the ball over these past couple of years. I mean, trading Calais Campbell this offseason for a fifth-round pick Um, it's pretty crazy to me there. And then Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye and Malik Jackson, all these other guys that they've lost over the last few years. And it's not like the offense, even with Gardner Minshew, was a top-flight offense. It was more, you know, slightly below to slightly above average. So they just don't have the talent to make up for what they've lost on defense. The other three teams, I think a lot of it's just going to depend on health and, you know, which quarterbacks – play up to their capabilities. I think that the Texans out of the three teams have the the quarterback that you can count on the most. Uh, if Philip Rivers is well-protected and is able to um, you know, recapture what he had when he was working with Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni before, then they should be pretty good too. Ryan Tannehill obviously had a, a pretty incredible season last year, but that's not really representative of what he's been throughout the most of his career. And granted, he could fall off from where he was last year, and still be good. They just need him to not fall off too
0: far. No question. And they got to try to see how that goes. And it was kind of interesting to see that now uh, you have Ryan Tannehill making more than Philip Rivers, and now is one of the highest-paid uh, quarterbacks in the AFC.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at the the way they did that last year. They brought him in essentially on a pick swap, and he wound up overtaking Marcus Mariota. And now you, you look at the deal Mariota got from the Raiders, and if he ends up starting at some point over Derek Carr, he can make a bunch of money, too. You know, he came out and said, I believe, earlier this week, he's like, I know it's Derek's team, I just, you know, came here to to do my thing. Who knows, there's obviously been rumbling since John Gruden got there that he's not necessarily a huge fan of Derek Carr, but... Everywhere John Gruden goes, there's always rumblings that he likes someone outside his organization better than the guys in his organization, so who knows you know, how much stock he could put into that.
0: Yeah, and then finally, uh, how do you look at the whole trade season and free agency season, the way it's gone in one week and, of course, over the course of the month or so, 15 trades and uh, the 220-plus moves?
1: Yeah, I think the, the, the big thing that stands out to me is just how much more money has been spent On defense so far than offense, I remember when I looked at it in just over the first few days last week, I think from Monday to Thursday, there was like $1.1 billion spent just on defensive ends, defensive tackles, cornerbacks, and outside linebackers. And that was the four highest paid positions. There was no offensive positions among the first four spots or, or even five spots because inside linebackers was right after that. So that's the thing that stands out to me more than anything else. You know, some of that is because, you know, some of the bigger offensive moves have been trades, you know, like DeAndre Hopkins we talked about and and Stephon Diggs. And then, you know, the guys who were the big quarterback movers got smaller one year or two year deals, you know, if if Tom Brady was getting a five- or six-year deal, it wouldn't have only been $50, $60 million. And if Philip Rivers was getting a multi-year deal, it wouldn't have only been $25 million. Where all of these defensive guys are getting, you know, big, long-term type of deals. But the thing that stood out to me, again, more than anything else, was just how much money teams were spending on defense. Philosophy.
0: Hey, read Jared Dubin at uh, CBSSports.com. And, Jared, thank you for joining us on Schooled with a Professor.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.